This is the Lundahl Performance Podcast Extra. So take me through this article that you sent me the other day that kind of <laughs> set us both off a little bit. Um, because let me let me put it basically to sum this up. This is a this is an article on a popular uh, website that talks about treat training. Now every clinician out there has made a video or a podcast or an article bashing treat training, but yet for all their trick horses and all that stuff that they do they they use some degree of clicker training or treat training. And what we're trying to say is that people shouldn't conflate that system with what we do or what we and our clients do, which is more performance-oriented stuff, more traditional, whether it's they're showing or they're just riding on the trail, like basic horsemanship, going out there and riding and accomplishing something with your horse. We're not doing tricks. We're not doing any entertainment. We're not doing anything specialty like that. So the the paradigm and the mindset we have for our program works for that stuff. And what we're saying is there can't be a, this grotesque mixing of the two. Like that, It'd be like trying to download some software that's meant for Windows onto a Mac it, it, it doesn't work. Like each one, the Windows and the Mac, both have their uses and they're good machines, but you can't just mesh the two together. The, the systems are not going to be compatible. And that's what we're trying to say is that people should be practical and smart about what they buy into and what programs they use and, and have to be practical about what they actually want out of their horse. Because articles like this come out and say, well, everything we've done in horsemanship is basically wrong and it's all negative enforcement and this is how you should do it. And we're saying no. You know, people like Tommy Turvey, uh, other people we've we've met and, and even worked with before that do tricks and specialty stuff use these methods for that, but then they do more of the traditional stuff that we like when it comes to other things. Like, they keep the two separate. They don't ride their horse by using treat and clicker training techniques. Well, there's, there's a time and a place. Each has value, but you can't just have a blanket statement that only this works and this is abusive or only this works and that's useless. There's yeah. a time and a place for both, but you have to kind of differentiate when the time and the place is. And, I, yeah. you know, like you brought up, it is funny, you know, this article in particular is talking about the reward-based training systems or methods out there and it likes to frame like you said these other systems of training as negative reinforcement training which is kind of a a funny clever way to word things to make it sound like abusive or overbearing it's approach and retreat essentially is what it is well it's it's not negative it's reproach you apply the pressure and when the horse finds the answer you put him in a mental and physical bind and when the horse finds the answer you release the pressure. Yeah, but the horse learns through the release. It's not negative reinforcement training where you better do this or the staff of Ra shall come down upon ye. You know? Well, no, they imply that, though, that there's something wrong with it with their little loaded term, negative yes, reinforcement. Exactly. But if they're going to be 
if they're going to be honest and and not so dishonest about what's going on, it's literally that. It's pressure and release. It's approach and retreat. It's pressure and release, pressure and reward. It's making the right thing easy and the wrong thing difficult. Those have been basic staples of horsemanship since before the entire natural horsemanship movement popularized those axioms. People implicitly knew this going back centuries even when they were training chariot races for the chariot horses for the pharaohs you know they they knew this stuff um well it's how horses interact with each other yes you know even left to their own devices it is how they interact with each other you know they don't use a merit-based system where you do this and you get this reward you know um you do this and you win this prize it's the same thing they use the approach retreat pressure release method on themselves well, that's natural horsemanship at its core. And really. so then, then in contrast to that, they talk about basically reward-based training or treat training as positive reinforcement because you're giving something that the horse wants, etc. But if you dig into it, well, well, first of all, before we get to that, you had something, a, a paragraph that kind of triggered you, you know, because we're, we're millennials. We get, <laughs> we get we get triggered at everything yeah, I here. resent that statement. <laughs> so uh, it's like, no, Gen X, we want to join you guys. But no... Um, Let's see. Negative reinforcement tends to activate the part of the brain responsible for flight or flight, fight or flight. Um, now, we've talked about this a lot. Whereas it says that positive reinforcement activates parts of the brain more toward seeking is what it says. And we talked, yeah, like we talked about this and horses are prey animals. So at their core, everything they do generates around fight or flight. That's the way they're wired. It doesn't trigger that part of their brain that would not have been triggered otherwise. Whatever well, I think it's, I think it's, doing. it's accurate to say that everything like horses don't have consciousness at the level that we experience it, but their basic mode of operation, their operating system in their mind is what's comfortable versus what's uncomfortable. And what are my needs in the moment? If I'm thirsty, what's going to make that feel better and feel more comfortable is if I get a drink. If I'm feeling uncomfortable and I'm dehydrated, that's more motivation to go look for water, you know. Or if I'm if I'm being uh, socially ostracized from the group, that that uh, you know lowers the possibility that I'm going to be able to reproduce, and that's the main driver there. So I'm feeling anxiety. I need to I need to correct that situation. I need to find a herd. I need to do something to get into the social system to where I'm protected as a member of the herd and, and then I can also reproduce as well. That's like, that's how it works. It goes from what's making me uncomfortable and anxious. How do mm -hmm. I correct this? It's comfort versus discomfort on the level of food, on the level of breeding, on the level of just being around other horses or, or, you know, humans can also step into that role they feel that anxiety as far as a leadership situation. Like, you know, you know, you and I were talking about this. Like, if the horses are in a, in a social situation, even one horse to another, it doesn't have to be a group, they want implicitly for a pecking order to be established. And their behavior will naturally bring out one. Like, inevitably, they'll start poking and prodding at each other to see who's the more dominant of the two. That's just how they're wired. Um, and then once that gets settled, then that's another thing they don't have to worry about anymore. So this whole idea that that pressure and release and basically horse training as we understand it, that that's, that's something negative. That's, old that's something dirty. Uh, 
No, and there are a lot of reasons for that. But, but well, it really comes down to like you know a lot of the the words and you know the the, the talk that's surrounding this stuff that kind of spins it the reward based training in more of a positive light. You know, it talks about making the horse anticipate the reward, which is even better, and yada yada yada, and how you know your traditional pressure and release training or approach and retreat triggers this fight or flight reaction in the horse, which is inherently a bad thing but what that really comes down to is you're att- you're trying to to push your own human emotions and your own consciousness over onto the animal and try and make them kind of at the same level as you are intellectually and we're predators they're prey animals so they're just completely wired different than us and that's not a bad thing yes it's a horse and we ride it we're more yeah. closely connected to it than say a cow but at the end of the day, they're both prey animals, and they are wired with that fight or flight yeah, it's, reaction. It's so ironic that we're trying to, you know, the the spirit of this article and people who espouse these type of beliefs. It's always about I want to do what's best for the horse, but they're always letting their be a hu- leader for your horse. That's what's best for him. Well, the thing is, in this case, they're letting their human ego get in the way. And they're projecting their own psychology onto the horse when it's a completely opposite. Like you just said, it's a prey animal. And I've had many conversations about this um, where we talked about the difference between a predator and a prey mindset. And I'll get to this in a second, but just to lay some foundation here. I honestly believe, now I, I don't have scientific research to back me up. This is just my intuition and my experience and what I've observed in nature as well is that If you look at predators, like everyone watches wildlife documentaries where the lion goes and slays the zebra and cougars are so evil and they're these master predators and wolves are so vicious and everything else. But if you if you look at actual predator prey encounters in the wild, most of the time the prey animal escapes. Like if you watch an actual nature documentary, it's like listening to an old radio drama of gun smoke that's dark and nihilistic and and the bad guy usually wins, you know, and very rarely does anything get resolved. That's what the wild is like. That's what prey, predator prey is like, is that prey animals are good enough at avoiding predators that when the predator is actually successful, which is the minority of the time, it's a big deal. Like if you look at wolves, for example, they have to they have to have this dynamic of being oriented in a pack, learning to depend each on each other, work as a team to bring down the deer or whatever they're going after. And when they do succeed, which is the minority of cases, it's a huge deal. And they all feel an implicit sense of trust and and food is a very socially binding element of a predator's life because it's so hard to come by naturally. Whereas prey animals that eat green leafy things that are everywhere, it's not that strong. Like sure they like it. They like to have food, uh, but they don't feel like if I if I feed a dog every day and I'm I treat the dog nicely, this is why we get along so well with dogs, because as humans we're closer to their mentality. That's why dogs are man's best friend. It's like if I treat a dog nicely and I teach him a few little tricks and I give him treats as a response, that creates a certain bond between me and that animal that won't exist if I try to do the same technique with a horse. That that bond there, sure, I might be in a leadership role depending on how I work with this horse, but it's not going to have that I, I hesitate to even call it emotional bond, but it's not going to have that implicit 
uh, bond that would develop like if I was working with a dog. Exactly. That just That's not going to happen. It's a prey animal. It, it's got a completely different mindset. And people don't realize that. They just treat the horse like it's a dog. And sure, if you're doing, you know, trick training on the ground, you're not riding, etc. Great, because we know people that do that and it works. And it's great. It's it's fun to watch, but I'd say you have to be practical. Like I was at the zoo recently and I watched him working with the elephants, uh, you know, another herbivore. And it was very interesting because they're so they're such huge animals that they have to train them to, you know, turn this way and that so that they can check on their ears, check their feet to make sure there's no sores or anything like that. Uh, they'll have the elephant lay down and um, to do blood tests and stuff, they have to take it from the ear. So they have to train the elephant to like, you know, be su- submit to that and do all these things. And they use it with treats, with food. And the funny thing is that they'll use whistles and tags and treats and the elephants will respond most of the time. So, you know, sometimes I, I was talking to one of the trainers and in the very beginning, it's kind of hit or miss. And then just through repetition, the elephant kind of learns to do this or that. But the key is that the elephant can remove itself from the situation at any time. Like you might have it do something and cue for it. It responds. You give it the treat. It can choose to then walk away at that point. Like if it gets tired of what's going on, like it wanted the treat initially, it does the the motions a few times. And now it's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm tired of that. I don't, I don't really want the treat now it can choose to walk away and they just have to accept that. And then maybe later come back and try it again. when the elephants wants to be handled again, you know, they, they have to work right. it that way. Exactly. Which that works great for a zoo situation. Uh, that works great for this other stuff. But like what we do riding the horse where you're riding a thousand pound animal, you're working with it in close proximity on the ground, doing various exercises. I don't want to be engaging with this thing where it's on a voluntary basis, whether it's going to listen to me and respect me or not. I kind of want as much guarantee and as much control as I can accomplish. I'm not going to leave it up to chance and how the horse feels in that moment, whether or not he's going to engage with me and whether he's not, whether he's going to listen to me and take me seriously. I don't want to have such a big, I don't want the chance part of that to be on his shoulders. I want to be the one in control. Well, yes, you don't want to go out on your ride every day hoping that you you can fit in that 40-minute window where he still stays engaged with wanting that treat you're going to give you, and so he'll act well. And then the moment that he gets tired of it, well, you, hopefully you're done by that point and you can turn him back out in the pin. You know, I think a good example of that is you look at, especially geared toward, like, the performance horse events. You know, like you mentioned with, you know, eventually that treat, you know, like you said with the elephants, they can just walk away whenever they want. It, it's not the, enough of a motivating factor for the elephant to stay engaged the whole time. And mm-hmm. so that the zookeeper has to really work around the elephant's schedule mm-hmm. with when it feels like participating exactly. with what's going on. Exactly. Well, you look at, take the fraternity, for example. You've got two weeks where these horses are in a new location. They're in this barn where they leave the lights on all day, all night. There's music playing. There's people walking through the barn aisles at all random nights. There's there's the the crew, the facility staff that's sweeping sweeping alleyways and unloading trash. And there's arena drag going on, whatnot. There's all this slamming and banging. There's horses pawing and kicking and who knows what. 
and that's for two weeks. So not only have they been drug away from home, but there's all this excitement constantly going on. Plus, they're getting ridden at, at strange hours, especially if you you know you ride them every morning or in the afternoon or whenever. And now you have to ride them at you know two three o'clock in the morning. Plus, they're being showed. Well, then it comes let's say finals night on a Saturday night, and they've they've been out for an hour getting tacked up and looking pretty. And then they're out in the warm-up pen for an hour. And then they go in and run their pattern. And they do their spins and their fast circles and their lead change. And they've done two stops. And they've just rolled back and they're coming around the corner for that last stop. There's, like it says in this article, where the horse becomes to anticipate the reward, which is even better. Where there's no amount of anticipating the reward that's going to motivate that horse to run down and stop a plus one that last time. I mean, you can, you just sitting from the stands, you can hear that horse huffing and puffing. You can see the sweat. You know, it's been a long day. He's tired. And there's no sugar cube in the world no. that tastes that good that he's going to run down there and stop a plus one. It's just no. not reality. And I think there's nothing wrong with the treat training. I think it's a great thing to add to your horse, especially if they did really well. And it's like an, a bonus. You're like, hey, here you go. And he's like, oh, well, thank you. That was so nice. And he, you know, eats it up. But it's not practical, and it kind of steers people into a mindset of, oh, I don't have to do that much. I don't really have to be that much of a leader. I can just bribe him into doing everything rather than, you know, kind of being responsible and taking the initiative and being the leader yeah. for him. And you end up just kind of letting the horse dictate, well, I'll be good when I feel like it. Yeah, you well, know? you're you're basically a slave to the horse's schedule and, you know, how cooperative he's he feels like he's going to be for you today, you know, but, but like you said, to get anything done like that, or, or even to have a level of control, like this is a safety thing as well. Like if you're, if you're in the mindset of kind of letting the horse dictate how this day-to-day interaction is going to go, uh, then you're at the whims of a thousand pound animal that again, unlike a dog doesn't really have a very strong bond or an interest to really care about you unless you assert yourself as the leader, then they will take you seriously. If not, you're just another thing that's just kind of in their vicinity. Uh, that you know. Like, well, if you can't assert yourself as the leader, in their mind, what good are you? Yes. Because you're not going to take care of them. You're not going to watch out for them and save their life if there's predators around. Like, they look at you as, okay, if, if you're the leader, okay, I trust you that you're going to watch out for the, you know, whatever predators are in their mind. You're going to know which way to run when the predators come. You're yeah. going to know where the water is. You're going to know where the food is. Yeah, but, like, going back to a, another analogy, I, I like my elephant analogy, but here's another one. Like, as far as, you know, putting the horse through its paces in the show pen or doing all these different events that people do with their horses, like, look at the way hunting dogs are trained. Like you can, you can develop enough of a bond with a dog that if you signal him, he'll jump in a nasty pond and swim out to go grab a a duck that you just shot and bring it back to you. Not, not take it and eat it himself, but he will bring it back to you just, and you pat him on the head and say, good dog, you know, and maybe give him a treat or whatever. But that's how strong of a bond that can exist and how forward thinking a dog can be in doing something that you ask for and being willing to being willing to jump in the freezing pond to go get something just to make you happy whereas a horse if you if you said now you've got a treat coming go across this water crossing for me please they're going to look at that and be like are you crazy i'm not stepping in this thing for you like they're they're not going to do that and like if you 
if you uh, say um, put a treat out on a little pedestal or something and told the horse go and get it they'll go over the, to there and eat it themselves and like you will be completely disconnected from that they're not they're, they don't have that level of appreciation that a dog can. I think that's like that's a brutal way of saying it, but I honestly think that's the truth. Right. That it's, is the truth. It's like I remember a specific example um, where there was this this person that um, on this trail ride who couldn't get their horse to cross the bridge. Oh, and yes. They were trying to coax it across, basically bribe it across using treats rather than taking the initiative, being a leader using it as a training opportunity, getting this horse moving its feet and engaged it that way and building its confidence. They were more just trying to bribe it across with, you know, the pocket full of treats. And if that's all you have, is that if that's the, like the farthest you can ever go to try and convince your horse of something is to bribe it with treats, well then what, what are you left with when it won't do it? Do you have to like yeah. enact economic sanctions? Well, like, <laughs> the horse? like we, we also thought of this analogy. It's kind of hilarious, but Okay, let's 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 use this analogy. Okay, let's say I'm I'm super fat and I want to get in shape. So you tell me as my personal trainer, as my coach, you say, "Okay, run this amount of laps, uh run this many flights of stairs at the football stadium, and your reward at the end because I'm fat and I love food, my reward at the end is a dozen Cadbury eggs. The cream, not the caramel ones. The caramel is gross. Ha- you have but... to do the cream. <laughs> The other ones shouldn't have even ever no. been made. And they should have never changed the formula of the chocolate. Yes. But anyways, I digress. <laughs> um, so you say, okay, your your reward, because you're fat, you love sweets, every time I, every time I hand you a Cadbury egg, you take it immediately. <laughs> so I'm going to make that the reward to get you to go do some conditioning. Well, I might run a lap or two and then be like... You know, I could probably find I could probably just go buy a dozen Cadbury eggs myself or maybe because I'm running and I'm tired, I'm worked up, I'm hot, I'm sweaty. I don't feel like eating chocolate anymore. That that sounds gross to me. Like I'm I'm running along, I'm out of shape so I'm about to puke. The last thing I want to eat right now is some chocolate with cream. That just it becomes disgusting in my mind. And that's effectively what you're doing when you're betting on the horse's state of mind in a bribery type situation like that. Like if the horse is under any kind of stress or whatever, even if their mood has swung just a little bit, they might be very well in the mind to just say, no, Uh, you know, what else you got? Basically, I think you've just admitted to the tactic you've been trying to use on me lately. We're going to have to have a, a talk about this after the podcast. My methods have been exposed. See, I've got my method as well. I'm a man with my method. Uh, it revolves around Cadbury eggs. But anyway. Anyway, so the point of all of this is, is to be practical. And again, the the. You know, like people come to us and say, well, it's so evil what you're doing, putting pressure on these poor creatures and all this other stuff. And okay, let's say you deny the fact that horses have been domesticated for human use. They were originally work animals. What we're doing with them, they're basically living millionaire-esque luxury lives compared to where they would have been in the 1800s dragging carts around. If you want to put that aside, well then, you know, just working with horses in general then must be abusive to you, you know, but if you're going, if you're going to ride horses, you're going to work with them. 
you need to understand their psychology and how that works. If you're going to like you, you like we just tried, this is what we're really getting at here is that if you're going to do this successfully, you have to commit to the mindset of becoming a leader in, in the role. Like exactly. you need to establish yourself in that leadership role. And if you're uncomfortable with doing what it requires to achieve that, then you're not cut out for this. And part of what doing what requires is learning how your horse is wired and what motivates them as a prey animal. And being honest about it and not projecting your own emotions onto it because that just clouds judgment then. So, you know, if we're not going to be honest with ourselves, then we're putting our health at risk. We're, we're literally, think about it, when we're riding, we're, we're riding around on a thousand pound prey animal that really doesn't care if we live or die that much like right. i'm just being dead serious here like if if we get into a stressful situation the horse is going to look to us if if we're in a leadership role if we've already established that that partnership or i hesitate to say relationship but that dynamic between us the horse is going to look to us for guidance if we can't provide any they're just going to take matters into their own hands regardless of if we live or die like if we're if we're trail riding and we meet like Let's say I'm walking along through the woods uh, like any any guy out there. Think about this. Imagine going on a little hike with your girlfriend and you, you see a cougar out in the distance. Like your immediate reaction is, okay, how do we, you know, adjust the situation? How do we make an exit here and keep us both safe? And your mind is probably on, how do I keep this person who's with me safe? You know, you're not just thinking about, oh, I got to bail. See ya, you know. No, that that's not what you're going to do in that situation. But that is absolutely what the horse would do. Well, does look it, at the herd dynamic of yeah. like if there's horses running in the wild. You know, I watched it the other day on whatever this animal channel was, and it was like the lions hunting these zebras. And when the zebras, when they're scared, you know, horses' natural reaction, like you say, jump in your top pocket or run. You know, they look to you for that comfort. When they jump in your top pocket, if something spooks them and they run over the top of you. Essentially, what they do in the herd setting is they're trying to get to the middle of that herd. Why is that? Because it's kill that other horse. He's closer to you, not yeah. me. I'm in the middle. I've got all these bodies surrounding me. I'm safe. When they jump in your top pocket, they're like, I need to try and get like, you have you in between whatever's scary yeah. and me. It's so like it's, they might they get you and not me. They don't love or have a lot of loyalty to their herd mates. It's literally, okay, when I'm with you guys, my probabilities of being singled out and killed go down. But that's that's not a bad thing. No, but that's see, that's how the thing. they're wired as a prey animal. It, you know, people might be the opposite and be like, well, the horses are just, you know, pathetic and, and uh, no, that's no. how they're wired as a prey animal. That's just how they are. They're different to us. They don't have that level of loyalty. And if we're going to be working with them in close proximity, if we're going to be riding them, for goodness sake, we can't then depend on them to be loyal and tr and and be out there to protect us. We have to be the leader still. You know, I'm not going to depend on an animal that's simple and that's a prey animal to to make life and death choices when when you know what hits the fan. Um, I'm not going to. I'm not my my existence and how well this goes and what level of control I have is not going to be turned over to this horse. I'm sorry. And if people get offended by that, if they're uncomfortable with that, well, then knock yourself out, you know, follow whatever program you want 
or don't ride horses at the end of the day. You know, that's, that's an option as well. But if you're going to ride horses, let's be practical about what it really takes to stay safe, number one, and, and have a productive partnership. And let's not delude ourselves that we can bribe the horse into doing everything for us. 